I'm Yamilka Rodriguez, and this is the Brand Therapist Podcast, where we come together and deep dive into the psychology of branding. We live in a new era that asks us to step up and show our individuality. Learn what makes us unique and different in this world. Let's open the door to possibilities so you can win in business, life, and relationships. Because everything starts with you. Hello, and welcome to the Brand Therapist Podcast. I'm really excited about our guest today. You guys are in for a treat. David Allison. So let me read his bio before I start asking him tons of questions. David Allison is a human values expert, global researcher, and best-selling author. He is focused on changing the way we understand ourselves, the people around us, and those we hope to engage with our work. He is the founder of the Value Graphics Project, the first global inventory of core human values, He's made values into a measurable business metric and a new kind of insight that helps organizations succeed in today's values economy. David speaks internationally and helps big brands connect with people by honoring their values. INC Magazine, or Inc. Magazine, let me say it that way, named his last book one of the 10 best leadership books of the year. And in his book, The Death of Demographics, Value Graphic Marketing for Values Driven World. I love it. It's so up my alley. I'm really excited to talk to David Allison today. So David, welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me over. It's a nice place you got here. I like it. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So um, David, tell us about what you do a little bit more like in your own words, because obviously I just read a bio, but tell us what you do and how it all works. I have this big background in marketing, worked with a lot of big companies for a long time. And as with any marketing endeavor, the first thing you do is try and figure out who your audience is. And the way we do that these days is with demographics. We sit around and go, wow, they're 18 to 24 year old men who make $50,000 a year and they're white collar and they're single, but they hope to get married one day soon. And we get psychographics. It's everything else, how they've behaved in the past, what they've purchased, their preferences, likes, behaviors, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, which is great. Good information. But what we're all trying to do is figure out how to get people to do something next. How do we get people to listen to our podcast? How do we get people to buy our product, hire us as a consultant, whatever it is we're trying to do? And neither demographics or psychographics tell us that. So we think about it as a three-legged stool. We say there's, you got to know three things about a group of people. Who are they? Demographics. What have they done so far? Psychographics. And what's going to make them do something next? which is their value graphics. So we've created a way to measure for groups of people, what are their shared values? Because values are the key to understanding how people make decisions. It's a piece of our brain, a neurological process we go through. Every decision we make all day long is about seeking values alignment. Whatever option we have in front of us, door A, door B, can of soup A, can of soup B, whatever decision we're making, our brain says, pick the one, that's aligned with your values. You can't help it, that's just what being human is. So now we have a third way of looking at people that actually helps us understand who they are. So my days are about helping companies with this data, 
speaking about it. I really enjoy that. I'm working all over the world. Talking to great big audiences is so fun. And, uh, you know, working on my books, which um, you've already kindly mentioned the latest one here. There's a visual for people. And uh, third one on its way. I used to work at Procter & Gamble, so I know what it is to be in a big corporation. And we do a lot of research, as you probably know. I travel the world talking to people and doing not only qualitative, but quantitative research as well. So I'd love to just understand a little bit more on how you do the research for this, because it's really fascinating to me, because I also teach design thinking. And I always tell my students that we don't just look at demographics and psychographics, but also how do you build a persona that has a feeling and emotions, which is tied to values, I believe. Also, I was talking to another colleague talking about how companies don't always use values to gather a community of their employees and how that affects everything else. So I'm sure you know a lot about that. And I'd love to know kind of what your thoughts are on it. Okay. So there's like four questions there, but let's start with the first one, which is uh, <laughs> how does this research happen? So we've built a global database, talked to close to a million people around the world now, long form qualitative surveys. By the way, team of translators, 152 languages, 180 countries. If you're a data geek, it's plus or minus 3.5% accurate, 95% confidence. It's more accurate than you need for a PhD from Harvard. And we've measured and mapped the core values of everyone on the entire planet. And that sits in a big database over here. Now, what we need to do is figure out which data applies in what situation. So whenever we get hired or whenever I give a speech, I listen and say, okay, who you're interested in trying to understand? Is it an employee group? Is it a customer group? Is it a prospect group? Is it a shopping, like people who prefer this brand over that brand? Who is it? Then we go out and find a small group of those people, just a stat rep. So like 1,300 to 1,500 people. We ask them a couple questions. We do all this online, takes four or five weeks. And what they tell us about themselves and how they live their lives, that helps us understand what parts of the database to go and pull out and extrapolate these rich data profiles. So we can come back to a client or I can speak to an audience and say, the people you're trying to understand and engage and inspire and motivate what they actually use as a decision-making tool is, let's say, ambition. So what you need to do is make sure how you're telling your story about a product or a service or a brand shows them that this is the option that's going to feed that ambition that they use as a filtering mechanism to make every decision in their life. Now, it might be family. It might be personal growth. It could be environmentalism or personal responsibility. There's 56 values that drive everything that every human being on the world does all day long, 24 seven, 365. So it's about deciding which of those or finding which of those 56 values are the right ones for any particular group of people that they share with enough commonality that you can use that as a way to target your messages, your product development. If we're talking about an internal audience for an employee group, how do we build a more engaged workplace culture? Well, you gotta give people what they actually care about. So stop sitting around in the C-suite and going, I think people just want more time off. Maybe they don't want more time off. Maybe they're actually more interested in having uh, you know, better relationships at work. And it's about networking opportunities. Maybe it's more about 
financial security. Maybe that's the value that we need to be talking about is it's going to be different for every group that we profile. I love it. I love it because it's so up my alley. Yeah. We get to stop guessing now. Yeah. We make these assumptions of what people want without even asking. Yeah. And you know what? I'll tell you how inaccurate our current methodologies are. If you look at demographics, for example, this database we've built for the world it's built in a structure that's called a random stratified statistically representative sample. So it's basically like our own little Lego model of the real world with the same proportionate numbers of men and women and different age groups and all the different countries that are included, which is all of them. So we can look at it demographically and say, how similar are people within any demographic group? So for example, lots of stuff online right now around Gen Z. Gen Z wants this and Gen Z loves that and Gen Z, it's all nonsense. Because Gen Z, like any other demographic cohort, they only are in alignment within that group about 10.5% of the time. So you can take every single demographic category that we're all familiar with, age, income, gender, marital status, number of kids, the people within those buckets, they're only about 10% similar if we round off. So if you spend a million bucks trying to talk to a group of people using demographics and what you think that tells you about them, you're going to be 90% wrong right out the gate. For many reasons, right? Because it's so funny. I, I just had my design thinking class with the MBA students. And after I went through a deep dive of the consumer that they were building, they were like, wow, I didn't know we could do something with purpose. And I was like, what? You just do things that you don't even think about? Everything has to do with some sort of intention of purpose. If not, what are you doing, right? It's so crazy. And I think that there's a lot of conversations these days about purpose and about those kinds of objectives for organizations other than profit, which is perfect. That's fantastic. But we're seeing examples in the real world right now of companies that get it wrong because they're guessing. I'm not sure if we want to be timely about this, but look at what happened to Bud Light recently. They chose to support a transgender person in a very small way. You know, if you look at the deal that they did with this transgender thought leader, it wasn't a very big deal at all, but it exploded because they chose something to support that didn't align with the values of their audience. I'm not saying it was a bad move, but I'm saying, why wouldn't you find out what your audience cares about so deeply that it drives all the decisions in their life and then support something that's aligned with that? There should be some organizations that do things for the gay community, and there should be some organizations that don't. We don't all have to do everything, right? Right. And you know, it's so funny you say that because it's really about not understanding the superficial stuff, because that's easy, but understanding their deep needs, like you were saying, or their deep values, like you were saying before, like, is it about really having a better place for their family? Not just like, oh, they want this. It's really deeper than that. And we always don't go deep enough to really understand because it could be a game changer. It could change lives. It could just be, you know, all kinds of things. If I just like finish on that thought for a moment. It seems like a misguided way of thinking about people to just say, 73% of my target audience is women. So what are you going to do with that? Make everything pink? It's like, <laughs> why would you do that? But you know what? We laugh about it. But you go into a toy store and you look at the pink toys and the blue toys, it's happening. We're perpetuating myths and stereotypes about people by using demographics and thinking that it tells us something. 
And those stereotypes and myths, those are just fuel for ageism and racism and sexism and homophobia and all these other kinds of social problems. So we got to get over our addiction to demographics as a way to understand people because it's not working and it's causing a lot of bad things to happen in the world. Exactly. So I always tell people that this wouldn't be a brand therapist podcast if we didn't talk about childhood. So tell me a story about your childhood and how that connects to what you do today. (laughs) You know, I've weirdly spent some time thinking about this lately because, you know, you get to a certain age now that I'm 27, you need to start (laughs) thinking about your past and it just comes along. I have always been a bit of an entrepreneur. I remember when I was of an age where we don't do this anymore, but my parents brought me pet turtles. I can't remember what their names were, but one of them died. And so I had a funeral and I prepared some songs and a skit and there were refreshments and a parade. And I charged the neighborhood kids 10 cents to come to my turtles funeral. I made like a buck 50 that day and mom served Kool-Aid and cookies and we all had a good time. (laughs) That's one of the connecting threads that's gone through my life. There's always been, well, gee, how can I turn this into an opportunity to create a little business here? The other one has all been about performing. Even that first example about being an entrepreneur, but there was a performance. It wasn't just like, let's, you know, sell something. It was no part of this is David's going to do some entertainment for you. And then in school, I was in the plays and in the operettas and I was in the choir and in the band and I always like public speaking. And just like, I look back at all of these different experiences I've had over the course of my entire life and how they've led me to this career that I'm being immodest to say, I don't think there's anyone else who could do exactly what I'm doing in the way that I do it because I'm the product of all of those past experiences. And I think that's magic. If your listeners are trying to figure out what their personal brand is about, you already know it. It's in your life. You just got to look for the threads and go, there it is. There's that connective tissue that brought me to here. And I love that you say that because I always tell my clients, I'm not going to tell you anything new that you don't know. It's just, I'm going to bring it to the forefront where you might be thinking like, yeah, that makes sense. And that's really what it is. Bringing the unconscious to the conscious is really what the whole game's about. I ask always, like, tell me your fame story. How did this all, you know, what you're doing right now came to be? And how was the story of you having this impact and fame around it? I want to know the moment that you figured out that this was a viable business and how people noticed you around that. And you started becoming famous around what you do today. Two answers to that. First one is what's the moment that I noticed that this was a viable business? And the second one is what's the secret to getting famous? (laughs) So (laughs) first question was, when was the moment that I knew? It's a good story. I was flying home. I was in speaking in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and I live on the west coast of Canada in Vancouver. And on the way home from the Middle East, I stopped in New York to do some press and some media. And I had one fellow who wanted to interview me who was from a French media group, and he wanted to have a drink. And that's how he wanted to do the interviews, have a drink after work. And I can hold my liquor as good as the next guy, but I was, you know, a little jet lagged from Dubai and Abu Dhabi. So a little tired and didn't really know which end was up. And 
I had my, uh, had a martini and a nice, nice little chit chat and then, um, started on my second martini. I can drink more than two martinis. So it isn't the alcohol. He kept saying to me, why are you doing this? I'm like, well, because you know, the world needs a better way to understand each other and we need a better and demographics don't work. And you know, 10.5% similarity and blah, 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 blah. I said, no, no. Why are you doing this? I was like, well, and I launched into another pat answer and he just kept coming back to, no, no, I, I get all of that, but why are you doing this? And I started to cry and I had to say, hold my drink because martini glasses, they're kind of tippy, right? So I literally had to hand him my drink because I was like, not cute Brad Pitt crying, like one tear going, like I was <laughs> sobbing and the, the tears and the snot and it was, it was not a pretty sight. Because it, it was the first time I kind of realized that this was a calling. It wasn't a job. This is what I'm here to do. My mission in this life is to help us all find a better way to understand each other. Because right now, in this world we live in, there's so much divisiveness. There's so many people who want to convince us that we're so different from each other. And it causes all kinds of rifts and problems and fights and all kinds of terrible things to happen. And I have this ability to tell a story and I have data to back me up that proves that all around the world, we're very, very similar to each other. Sure, there's a little difference from here to there. We're not all that different. I don't know if I'm going to accomplish that by the time I'm done my turn on this rock spinning around the sun. But if it's not me, maybe the next person who ends up using this data but as corny as it sounds, if we can all just change the way we look at each other, we can change the world. And that's what I'm here to do. So that was the moment where it became obvious. The fame part, how do you become famous? The best piece of advice I have for people listening and watching today is uh, get over yourself. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I just had so much need to tell everybody about all our data and how smart we were and how we talked to a million people and all like nobody cares about that. What they care about is themselves. So you have to find a way to tell your story that's just going to help other people and just give until it hurts. Just give away information, give away your time, do whatever you can. And the fame will find you if you're trying to help other people. I love that. That's so beautiful. So greatly said and very difficult to do at the same time. We thank our sponsor, BespokeBranding.io. Tailored branding to reach your ideal client. Gain a deeper level of understanding to empower your brand and purpose and rule the market. We know what it's like to journey from a place of feeling overwhelmed and undervalued to being powerful, understood, and authentic. Your brand identity allows you to live your purpose. The Brand Therapist has 20 years of branding and design experience, has transformed billion dollar brands, and has eight plus years of guiding women entrepreneurs to realize their potential. I invite you to take the brand quiz and you can find it at www bespokebranding.io. There are times, and I will say this in general, because I've had, I've asked this question many times and it's always pretty accurate, but there's many times that people 
are thinking in a different way when they're answering the questions and they're not really pinpointing the primary, right? So let me ask you, let me read this one to you. A hero sees the world as a challenge and is attracted to experiences that offer great opportunity to conquer, protect, and uphold. The motivation is competition. The need is to receive a challenge. The fear is being defeated and the behaviors are saves the day, works to be strong and competent, motivates others to achieve. And the words are courageous, driven, self-reliant, persistent, and determined. You're more of an independent quadrant type of person. You like challenges. You're a little bit more driven. So I think you're probably more as a primary. Obviously, we do have all four because it has to do with opposites and connection and kind of like this magnetic attraction. So it sounds to me like you're probably in the hero quadrant and maybe the secondary is more in the stable quadrant because you talked about analytics and you're very good, obviously, at all that. So you're probably in that space as well. So it's super interesting. So that said, you already kind of described your brand to me. So I'd like to know what your greatest fear is. Hmm. My greatest fear. This is a word that is kind of loaded and people will react to this in an immediate way, but I mean it in more of the nuanced way. I guess my greatest fear is failure. It's not failure in terms of what you expect, like my mortgage or something, although of course that's on my mind, but it's this mission that we're on somehow doesn't stick that we've done all this work and worked long hours and long days and no weekends and made a lot of sacrifices because we believe that this is a better way for the world to work and that it just kind of fizzles out and ends with me. And that can't happen because we're not on a great trajectory right now as a species on this planet. And I'm not saying that what we're doing is going to solve all the problems of the world, but it sure as heck going to help if we can all get over our ridiculous ideas about stereotypical ways of thinking about each other. You know, it comes from evolution. There's a whole field of study called heuristics. You may have heard of Daniel Kerman's book about thinking fast, thinking slow. We evolved, we survived because we'd see some strangers coming over the hill while we were sitting there eating our Tyrannosaurus Rex burgers over the fire back when we lived in the caves and some strangers were coming over the hill and we'd look at them and go, those folks, based on what I can see, they're going to be friends or they're going to be someone who's here to hurt us and take our Tyrannosaurus Rex burgers. So we have to get the heck out of here or let's invite them over and see if they'd like a glass of grog. And so that's how we've survived is by looking at people on the outside and saying friend or foe, but we don't have to do that anymore. We don't need to use snap judgments based on what we can see and what our demographics are to understand people anymore. And yet we're programmed that way. We're hardwired to still, I mean, let me put it in a more modern day context. You're walking down the street, it's one o'clock in the morning and you're in a dangerous part of some big urban center. And around the corner comes three young black men and they're walking towards you. Most people, their first reaction is going to be, this is not a good situation. Those three guys could be PhD students who are working in social work and are out trying to make sure that no one's sleeping rough and handing out sandwiches and blankets. We have no freaking idea. Now, three middle-aged women come around the corner. And we look at them and we go, wow, they must be lost. They're perfectly, they could be serial killers for all we know. But our brains tell us 
what to think immediately. We make snap judgments based on what we can see. And we got to stop that because it turns out that a 14-year-old girl living in France might have more in common with an 80-year-old CEO working in Manhattan on the inside than each of them does with their own cohort in the place that they live. We've got to stop looking at people based on these categories and look at them based on these categories. So my biggest fear is that we don't succeed. You've said something really profound there because usually people hang around with people who are similar to them. That's never going to show diversity. And I think also companies a lot of times hire people that are more alike than different and also won't bring diversity to the table. So I think you have a big point just on that. I mean, if you look at your own friendship circle, though, it's an interesting thing. Maybe you're different than I am, but my friends are all walks of life. We wouldn't ever fit in a traditional marketing demographic. We wouldn't fit into that group. I have different age people who are different ages, different income levels, both genders, all three genders. In fact, I know a few folks who fit somewhere in the middle. But you know who? what we have in common? Our values. On the inside, we're all identical to each other. And that's why we're friends. So the outside doesn't matter. Now, we know that's how the real world works, right? It makes sense. Everybody listening today and watching today is going, yeah, that's true. I have friends of all different kinds. But then we get into a boardroom at our work, and we think that it makes sense to put people in groups based on arbitrary things like how much pigment you have in your skin or whether you're uh, what gender or how you identify, how old you are. Like age is the most ridiculous one, perhaps. I mean, think about this for a moment. There's like 30 million Gen Z in the United States. And every day there's a new survey being thrown out there that says, Gen Z all want this. There's 30 million of them. How could they all want anything? It's ridiculous. <laughs> there's no way that there's any kind of similarity based on just the fact that they were born between this year and this year. It's just like, it makes no sense whatsoever. So yeah, we're all very similar on the inside. Yes, I love that. So tell me. I know it sounds to me like you have a big, big vision and mission on your play. And where do you see this going in the next 10 years? You know, that's an ongoing conversation. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very close to 60 now. And I'm starting to think about who's going to be driving this car when I'm not able to anymore. I figure I got another 10 or 20 years left in me. I'm trying hard anyway, taking all the right vitamins and working out and drinking plenty of fluids and getting lots of sleep. So hopefully I got another 10 or 20 years left. But at some point, someone else is going to have to do this. So I'm starting to have those thoughts in terms of what happens next. We're also diversifying the way that the data can be used. So in the summer this year, we're going to be launching a product that is going to take our sociological data set and turn it into a psychological assessment tool. So it will give us the ability to give someone a survey, one person, and just like Clifton Strengths or one of those things, you'll be able to answer 30 or 40 questions and you'll get a big thick report on what are your values, what drives you, who you are as a person, how you can use that information to be a better version of yourself at work and with your friends and your family and your personal life. So no one else has a product out there that's values driven with data behind it around self-assessment. So that tool is coming out in the summer. We have a, another division we're launching that is going to be repurposing the data from the speaking work that I do. So for example, 
I spoke recently to an international conference for people who make pet food. And what they asked me to do is get up on stage and talk to them about what are the values of people within families who are the decision maker about which kind of pet food they're going to buy. So we do a study, we launch that, and I get up on stage and go, okay, based on what we've learned from our data, here's the things you need to know as pet food manufacturers about what's driving people to choose pet food. Now, in a keynote of an hour, I can maybe share four or five things, but our studies, there's enough information there to write a thesis. So all that information just goes in the metaphorical file cabinet. So we're going to start taking that and making it into a report called, in this case, the Pet Food Report. And we'll put those up online. And for a very affordable price, people will be able to come and buy that if they're in the pet food industry. So just trying to find more and more ways for people to access this information. Oh, I love it. I love that you're thinking that way. So tell us, uh, David, Allison, where do you like to hang out on social? Where can people reach you? How can people find you and ask you more questions about their values? <laughs> First off, I love it when people <laughs> do that. So I hope people actually do. I tend to hang out on LinkedIn mostly. So you can find me there at David Allison or Value Graphics, which by the way is one word. Everybody wants to make it Value Graphics, but like, like demographics, it's Value Graphics. It's just one word. So if you type in Value Graphics or David Allison, you'll find me there. I'm certainly not shy. I also have an Instagram account. It's David Allison Inc. And uh, I don't know, I'm playing around with Twitter threads, mostly LinkedIn. Two websites, valuegraphics.com. That's the research company. And if you're interested in my work as a speaker and an author, so more of my personal brand, that's at davidallisoninc.com. And on either site, there's lots of information and videos to watch and you can sign up and get into our mailing list and we send you free stuff and all that kind of fun things. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. I am so honored to have had you on the podcast. Thank you so much, David, for giving us your time today and really letting us know all these amazing things you're doing. I think you're doing some incredible work and I can't wait to see all these products that are going to come out soon in the future. Before we close, can I just do a quick plug for the book? Yes, please. So the book's called The Death of Demographics. It's my best Vanna White, <laughs> and it's available on Amazon. The reason I'm plugging it, anybody who's ever written a book and put it on Amazon knows that you make about a buck a copy. So if everybody listening today buys one, I might have enough for a nice bottle of wine, right? So it's not about the money. But in there, there's a quiz. There's a 15-question quiz you can use. Send it out to your database. Send it out to your customers, whoever it is you want to understand. And it'll point you to one of 15 chapters that corresponds to one of our archetypes in the data set. And the archetype chapter gives you all the information about who those people are. Now, it's not super accurate because that's saying that the whole world fits into 15 groups, which is kind of nonsense. There's potentially millions of different groups that we could pull out of the database, but it's a good start. You know, at least it gets you thinking about values for a group instead of just demographics and psychographics. So I hope that's useful for people. I hope it helps them. That's why we wrote the book is to get more people using this kind of way of thinking about each other. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you, David, for being on the Brand Therapist podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening and see you on the next show. Thank you for listening to The Brand Therapist. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. 
If you would like to connect on social, you can find me at Yamoka Rodriguez Branding or bespokebranding.io. And if you would like to do the brand character quiz, go to bespokebranding.io and click on brand quiz. Or you can email me at yamilka at yamilka.com. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.